there is just a maturity level that many don't, not all, but many don't have uh, when you are that age. You just don't have the experience. Like, you don't know what to do when you're hallucinating dogs barking in the Alps at the second night at two in the morning. Hey, welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast. I have a special episode today for you. We have a trail tips with a special guest. So Tori was out of the country and we had some outstanding questions. So I had Alyssa Clark back on the show who has done quite a few past episodes about her own running, her amazing accomplishments, as well as her coaching advice. And she's pretty aligned with both of Tori and I's philosophies. So it was great to have her opinion on some of this stuff. And the questions this time were just really fun. We quite often get really detailed questions about specific races and how to train for something where somebody sees an issue. Obviously, that's what a question would be. But these ones were just, what do you do about bears? And what if I want to play more sports at once? And how do I deal with this life situation? So they're really fun questions. So I won't do too much of an intro because you'll be able to hear them there. And Alyssa and I catch up at the beginning. And this is coming out just after Fat Dog. So I will do a race recap eventually. I'll probably put one up on Patreon first. If you would like to find a backlog of the episodes, those are on Patreon. So you can search Trail Running Women or that link is in our new Instagram bio. So please come find us there at Trail Running Women Pod. That's where I'm putting all of the podcast stuff and all of the running stuff. And the easiest place to ask questions and offer guest suggestions and that sort of thing so I can organize it because otherwise I lose DMs. That's just what happens. I want to thank everybody for leaving ratings and reviews. Love getting your feedback. The ratings and reviews help us get new listeners and help us get more guests. So it keeps the show going. So huge thank you there. I hope everybody who ran Fat Dog had an absolutely great race and everybody who's gearing up for races towards the end of summer that they're happening and you're not in a place where there are fires and that if you are in a place where there's fires that it rains and that we are able to sort out a way to handle them because I know it's pretty scary for a lot of people especially our local listeners right now so I apologize if you are going through that okay I'm going to leave that for now as I said we chat more in the intro about catching up on our lives so if you want to reach out again it's trail running women pod or my personal is hillsport 55 And we talk about where you can find Alyssa in the episode as well. So huge thanks to her for taking your time out of her day to join us. Here is the episode. Okay, back for possibly a 10th time. I don't know. I can't count anymore. (laughs) We have a guest appearance for our Trail Tips episode. Welcome to Trail Tips, your first Trail Tips, Alyssa Clark. Thanks. I am honored to be to be on the trail tips episode. I listened to all of them. And so I'm stoked that I get to be here and offer whatever weird knowledge I've accumulated over the years. (laughs) I do feel like you always have a unique, interesting take. So I'm excited to get your opinions on some of these. We were just chatting before the show, the questions this time, they're not as specific about certain races. They're just kind of fun. And ironically, I got two or three people asked the same question. So it'll be fun to dive into them. And Tori will be back one day. She was just in... Colorado when we were recording this. So she's away doing fun things. And we had questions that needed answers before the end of summer. So here we are with a guest appearance. So before we get into questions, let's do you have, I can't give you an elevator pitch because you have too many things. But when you're meeting somebody new, if it's possible, what's your elevator pitch on like, accomplishments, favorite distance, who you are, go. Oh, man. You didn't prepare me for this one. I was um, just thinking that. I gave you no warning and I'm sorry. You're, you're good. You're good. This is part of the drill. Um, let's see. Okay. I call myself, I've actually really started recently calling myself a mountain athlete versus like a trail runner because I think being a mountain athlete is the safest way that you can move through the mountains, which includes trail running, ski touring, ice climbing, rock climbing mountaineering, all, all the mountain things. Um, so number one mountain athlete, primarily trail running, endurance, adventuring. I love like super gnarly, technical, hard hundred plus mile distances. Basically if, if someone's mildly scared of it, I probably want to do it mildly to hardcore scared of it. Um, with safety per se, uh, I live in a van with 
my husband and two cats and I'm a coach and basically just get to like do what I love doing every day, coach other people to do it and have a lot of fun. So yeah, is that does that work? That was really, really good for not being prepared. I'm super impressed. Thanks. And yeah, I love talking about running. So I'm always stoked for these kinds of things. And I was actually just laughing on another podcast that I've done some really dumb shit in my life running, like to thinking that bringing a bag of salt was a sufficient uh, amount of electrolyte or like a sufficient uh, like electrolyte. Like a table salt? Literally a baggie of table salt for a 350 mile self-supported effort. I thought that was sufficient and it bit me hard in the ass. Um, and I did not finish that per se, but uh, you know, you learn, you live, hopefully, and I have learned so many dumb things over the years, so hopefully I can help you <laughs> not bring a bag of table salt. <laughs> That's fantastic, but I can totally understand like where that logic might have come from. So yeah, we'll hash out table salt versus proper electrolyte nutrition. <laughs> so last thing that I want to ask you, because while well, we've got you here... You are going to be gearing up for Dragon's Back pretty quick. How are you feeling for that? Oh, I'm so excited. I think um, probably what has added to my stoke is that I had kind of a series of, we'll call it weird luck, the last uh, race that I was supposed to do, races. Um, so I was over at the Val d'Arene, uh that was canceled 20 miles in um, due to horrible storms, and then it was Change my flights was supposed to do Vermont 100 that was also canceled due to massive flooding. Um, so I just feel my friend called me like a shaken up champagne bottle that never really got to explode. Um, so I'm just channeling all of that energy, enthusiasm, joy into six days of hard, gnarly whales trail running. So I am excited. Yeah, I hope you guys get good weather. I mean, obviously that time of year, it's early September, you can get, or late August, you can get super hot days or some rain. So it should be fun. I'm really excited to follow along. If you guys don't know about it, the Dragon's Back race is a stage race that, or a multi-day event that they have some of the best tracking. So you can follow these little red dots along a map. Uh, so it's a really fun, interactive way to follow along athletes. Yeah, it's honestly really impressive like what they have been able to do with that um, just because it is so remote. It's so kind of crazy, but I think that it's pretty well documented. Um, so it is yeah. super cool with that. And we, we know the KD that we talk about all the time on the show went and absolutely crushed dragons back a few years ago and won by many, many hours. Um, and so we were following her along. And the funniest part of it is that not the funniest, well, sort of funny from the outside type two fun is the people that, the trackers that like couldn't make it through whatever day they're on. And you would just see this whole group of people going one way. And then this one poor tracker just like fall into the Valley and you're like, Oh no. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. And as the days went on more and more trackers went sideways. Oh, that's kind of like, that's amazing. It's, it's like a train wreck. You're like, Oh, I got to watch this happen. But if you've been in that kind of pain cave, then you're like, Oh yeah, I get this. I respect what this person is feeling right now. Oh, totally. I mean, that's what was kind of funny about Val Duraine is that I actually had to reverse on the course. Uh, I think it was like five miles and four or five miles. And my parents and like family were all watching and they were like, all of a sudden your track just go started going backwards. And we were all like, what the heck? <laughs> What's she doing? It's like, oh, yeah, God. I was running away from a storm. But you know. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. That's a whole oh, other wow. story. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was basically at uh 20. 2,200 meter mountain pass, massive storm hit. And um, yeah, it was like, I actually knew, know someone who's literally like picked up by the wind and thrown on the ground. And we were just getting like, I had bruises on my legs from the hail and we were just getting like thrashed and rained on and thundered and lightning. And we're like, this is not a no, this is no, this is a turnaround. This is like, yeah, not a good yeah. situation. So no. Um, and with that race in China a few years back, like we just know there's just not, there's just a line where it doesn't become worth it. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, this is how bad things happen. Let's not do that. 
And so but I'm going to really try not to just interview you because I'm always so curious with all the cool things that you're doing. But I'm wondering after Dragon's Back, because I know it's been on your goal list for so long, do you have any 2024 things that you are looking for the far future that's kind of your like, I know I'm going to do it. I'm not super focused on it yet. Yeah, um, actually... Something I thought was a little bit further away, but uh, I am going to be going uh, 110, 20, 30, whatever percent uh, focus on UTMB. Um, Own away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like got that. in through canyons this year and was like, oh, maybe like this is closer in my progression than I kind of thought. I knew it wasn't going to be a this year thing, but right. I think next year maybe it's a good time to really go after. I think the course suits me relatively well in terms of like pretty big mountains and it's a little bit again more runnable than I normally like, but it's like it's great competition. I mean, the best in the world and uh might as well give it a shot. Nice. So, yeah. Love it. Well, that's exciting. I'm stoked to have that to follow along because that's going to be, that's one of my favorite races. So I'm jealous of that for sure, but excited to watch somebody do it. Thanks. Are you, and also like always Tour de Jean is going to, it's going to happen again. Um, yeah. I know you're thinking about that too. Is that happening anytime soon or? Well, for sure. I mean, we still have some other family stuff to get through and I want to make Katie do with, do it with me. And she just had her baby a couple days ago, actually. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So it is a long-term goal, but I'm starting to be more and more comfortable with people being people, myself, getting older and like the long, super long distance goals and like how strong you can actually be at say 39 or something. There are big goals like that. Tour de Chance is definitely one of them that I'm thinking like when I'm 39, 40 and things are a little simpler with children and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, so that's... Um... Like, so for example, the woman who came in third in 2021 was slash is, well, was at the time 55 years old or something totally. like that. Yeah. And Becky so, was just in 10th and hard rock or something, something amazing. And she's 60. Yeah. So there's so much time. And I think women just get better and better. And I think that's part of the reason why I have pivoted a little bit to like, oh, I mean, not that you can't do well at a UTMB when you are in your forties. You absolutely can. There's no question. Um, but I was like, you know, I do have time for the really, really long stuff. I'm definitely going to still, I'd love to like keep one of those in per year, like something big. Uh, but also like, hmm, maybe it is more the time now when I'm quote unquote younger ish to really focus in on being as fast as I can. So, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's obviously the way you want to do it. And then it's just nice to know that there is something about long distance where being kind of older and wiser can still come into play. Not saying that you're not with your bags of salt, but that it's a unique sport like that where you can get like different strengths. And I think that for me personally is big because I would just go do dumb things and not rest enough and all those things. And you just are forced to be more cognizant of it as you age. So I'm sort of looking forward to being kind of like handcuffed into having to do things more properly because you just can't get away with the same type of stuff. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, a hundred percent. I was going to say that I think it's really, yes, I think that you continue to build durability in your body, but I think the biggest thing is just that you're less of an idiot as, I mean, like idiot in a different way, but you, you just can't be smart and, and do well at these things. Like you have to be, you have to have just, I think, an enormous amount of just wealth of knowledge and experience to be able to get you through. Like, yeah, and patience. Oh my gosh. Like, when I look back at trying to take on, so in 2019, I did, I attempted Dragon's Back and Tour, and I just look back at it and I'm like, do I think I'm physically probably better than I was in 2019 yeah maybe some like yes probably some but I think the biggest ex thing is that I just was too mature like I didn't have the the life experience the racing experience to go and do these things do I regret trying it no I don't because I think that they built me in many ways to what I am now and hopefully for the future but I also think 
there is just a maturity level that many don't, not all, but many don't have uh, when you are that age. You just don't have the experience. Like you don't know what to do when you're hallucinating dogs barking in the Alps at the second night at two in the morning. It's just like, hmm, what do I do? And now I'm like, oh yeah, you just like put some podcasts on so your brain remembers that human voices are a real thing. And then- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knew? Who knew that's what you were going to yeah. need at this time? Exactly. Um, so yeah, and I, mean- I just have to. I just fact checked. Becky came seventh female at sixty one at Hard Rock. So uh, kudos. That is amazing. That is yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Should we get into this? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Because you're right. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I only have until I have a hard stop time. But I still am just like, ooh, tell me more. Um, okay. So this first question we I got from two separate runners, which makes me laugh. Um, so one of them said, running alone, what do you carry in case of a critter encounter? And also, have you ever encountered a critter? And then another runner reached out and said, how do you not be scared of bears? <laughs> so... This question I thought would be fun and unique because we are in different places and you run in more, um, more different is what I want to say, but I know that's not right. Uh, a bigger variety of places. You were just in Spain and you go to Colorado and also California. Um, and I'm pretty familiar with our gnarly local area. So uh, tell me about the types of critters that you might run into. I honestly don't know much about Spanish animals. Um which maybe I should, I think there's mountain goats, but it doesn't seem like too many things can really, like when I think of European racing, I generally don't think of animals as a major factor. Um, California, for sure. We have a lot of mountain lions. We have a a lot of rattlesnakes, uh, not a lot of bears. Uh, Probably you have more experience with the bears, I feel like. Uh, We do have some black bears, but black bears really just run away from you. Like I've seen plenty of black bears out on trails and they're more scared of you than um, you may be of them. So they just run away. Like, would I mess with a black bear? No, absolutely not. Like give them space. But I uh, like black bears are are not aggressive for the most part, unless it's like a a mother and cub situation. that being said, mountain lions and rattlesnakes are definitely pretty scary. So here's the thing. And also, when I was in the South, there's tons of snakes. Uh, I also learned that there's like a Black Panther situation kind of thing, which that was a little bit scary. Um, but the biggest thing I would say is that with snakes in particular, I guess I'll start with there, um, is that if you don't mess with a snake, the snake does not want to bite you. Like snakes have to use so much energy uh, to bite you that they are trying to warn you to stay the F away. Um, And so if you don't mess with the snake, if you give it space and move around it and listen to its warnings, and I will tell you, if you've never had a rattlesnake rattle at you um, and you're wondering if you'll know or hear or be aware of it, your body understands that that is the sound of danger and it will get the heck out of the way. Like I have a basically uncontrollable body reaction to a rattlesnake and it is jump in as far away direction as possible from rattlesnake. Um, I've seen, I see snakes all the time now and basically just like give it space, don't mess with it. And um, I've come super close to them because they're brown and a lot of things are brown out here. And so uh, you can all of a sudden realize you're like right next to it. And um, the biggest thing is just don't mess with it, get away from it. Um, and really just like understand that they're probably like, they're not intentionally going out being like, Hmm, how many humans can we bite on the trail today? Like they don't want to do that. Um, so that's, that's kind of my relationship with snakes. As far as mountain lions go, I am freaking scared of mountain lions for sure. Like I've done some night stuff in California and I can tell you that I definitely think a lot about them. I know they're probably watching me, but I also think about the fact that there are very few. I I truly don't know if I've ever heard of a mountain lion attack. I'm not saying they don't happen, but if you think about like all the people, you know, trail running, et cetera, 
there's there's not very many. And so they, again, I think like to stalk you as cats can and do. I have two cats. They like to mess with you. Uh, but they, I don't think, attack very often. Um, but tips for mountain lions is basically like make a lot of noise, travel not alone in the night, like travel with someone else, uh, be big and scary because uh, that helps deter them uh, and really just get away from them as you can. Um, yeah. So one of the things I guess with animal encounters, because actually the first night when I was trying to do a self-supported attempt um, down in the South, I almost had like an anxiety attack because I was so scared of the animals. And the more I thought about it was like, guess what? They probably don't want to run into you just as much as you don't want to run into them. And so the more that you can mentally remember that and just be like, Hey, they're not out here, like trying to hunt people for the most part. And we're not hopefully trying to hunt them, just trying to live, uh, as symbiotically as possible. Uh, and so that's really what I try to remember when I do get a little bit scared is just, hey, they're not out here to get me. They just want to go about their lives. And humans have traveled in these areas for thousands and thousands of years. And yes, there are accidents here and there. But for the most part, you're probably going to be OK as long as you're not a jerk to them. So, yeah, that's kind of my <laughs> long answer. But hopefully... Yeah, well, I was just nodding my head because, first of all, like the snake thing, I can't even handle it. We have gardener snakes here, and I'm like, nope, the only solution is to scream and run away like a crazy person. <laughs> but I think you really do get used to what is near you, right? Like, I have these dreams of racing in Australia, but I am absolutely terrified of the little creepy crawlers that they have there. But here, the amount of bears is like insane. And there are grizzlies. I haven't run into grizzlies myself, but I have been in places where there's signs that are like, okay, there's, we found a grizzly that lives in this area hundred meters from here or something. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's get out of here. Um, Cause there's not really any solution to that. If there's a grizzly there, like just don't go there. Um, but the black bears, I went for a jog in Whistler the other morning and I think I saw seven and I ran 13K, which is like seven miles. So the bear per kilometer ratio was pretty freaking high. Um, and just as you said, like most of it was, we just sort of realized each other were there and they went away. And as long as you don't panic, it's fine. But there was definitely one that like wanted to just sit on the trail and not let me by. And it was pretty bushy. So there wasn't really a route I could go around either. Um, you just don't want to spook them. So I think the main thing try to jog with other people. But if you are solo, like, especially if I have poles, I'll just clap my poles together and yell like, Hey bear, like when I know I'm going around blind corners and just making sure that I'm not going to fall upon an animal that doesn't know I'm coming. I think that's the key thing. Like you said, or a mom with her cubs. So just be cognizant of the time of year that it is. But yeah, that's just part of it. Uh, I know when COVID happened, we did a lot more FKTs so we were in like races are one thing or jogs even on like a Saturday morning because you have so many other people around to kind of make noise and stuff. But when you're going into super remote terrain, that's when we had to worry about it more for sure, because we were going places where we knew we probably wouldn't see any humans for 15 hours type thing. Uh, so I had a small knife. <laughs> I don't know what that would do other than make me feel like I was doing something. If you're going into grizzly or bear country alone and it's not a busy place, I mean, there's small canisters of bear spray that are not a bad idea and a bell. Uh, and then you're just making noise the whole way that you go. And those are kind of the easiest basic precautions. And then the only other thing I'd say is if you're going to a place, especially in BC where there's a lot of bears and you are super uncomfortable with it, there's probably YouTube videos of wildlife experts. Like we're just telling you what we do ourselves but there's probably well I know there is there's specific things you're supposed to do for a black bear and a grizzly bear and if you want to make sure that you are up to speed on exactly how to respond then that's probably a really good idea to just do a little bit of research because I do I mean we've all seen those videos where somebody tries to pet one or give it food or oh, something God. 
Yeah. And you're just like, how did you ever come to that conclusion? But if you, I guess if you don't know, you don't know. So, uh, my, yeah, my only other tip would be to just educate yourself so that you know what animals are there and how to respond to them. Ah, that's great. Yeah. I think that the statistic is the most, the demographic most bitten by rattlesnakes is males between the age of like 14 and 30 because they mess with them. Cause weird, weird. Yeah. Shocker. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually so funny. It is funny. They always, I've done a wilderness first responder course and they're like, yeah, I want to know <laughs> the demographic. I was like, that checks out. Um, but yeah, yeah I, honestly, I think people are scarier than animals for the most for part. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you nailed it. Don't bug them. Uh, okay, moving on. I know I'm, a lot of people are running with smoke and fire right now, which is so unfortunate. And we had a listener write in who is in an area where there's too much smoke to run safely. They have a hilly race coming up with elevation. So they were wondering what our favorite indoor treadmill workouts for hills were. And I thought of your marathons for this as the treadmill queen. Um, I know that is different than a hill workout, but what's your favorite indoor hill workout? Oh, great one. Yeah, I definitely was not running hills uh, with the marathons at all. Um, but yeah, so I actually was thinking about this question. And when I was training for Hurt, because it's in January, um, we were in Bozeman, Montana at the time, and it was negative 35 out degrees. I kid you not. In absolutely insane. I don't know what that is in Celsius. Very, very, very cold. Um, and so I had to do a lot of treadmill workouts for Hurt. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to look at the race profile and try to estimate how long I think the climbs um, will take and their elevation gain. And so for Hurt, uh, the climbs are generally around a thousand feet, so a little bit less than 300 meters. And I would just simulate basically if I was doing, so Hurt's a, a five loop course, there's three major climbs on it. And I would just simulate like those three major climbs um, as I would think about doing a hurt loop. So it'd be like 20 minute climb, 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes on the flat. Sorry, there's the jet taking off. We're on a military base. Um, I was going to say, where, where sorry. are you? We're sitting like underneath an airplane. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sorry about that. Hopefully that was the last one. Um, no, we basically no, live on the base where like uh naval aviation was born so the base uh bar is the one that top gun the top gun bars are like or the top gun bar is uh modeled after so that's kind of fun but anyway okay back to um so basically i just look at the race pro profile and try to mimic my treadmill workouts off of sections of the course that A gets me visualizing what the course is going to be like and how I'm going to be feeling and just gives like a fun way to think about the treadmill workout and break it up. Um, and in between the uphills, I would do like some flat time um, or a slight incline. If you can get on a treadmill that does a little bit of downhill, I think that's the part that people forget the most is we get really fixated on, I've got to climb, I've got to climb, like if I can't go outside. Well, the downhill work is super key. So if you have a treadmill, even if it's just like three to 6% downhill, do some of that and make sure you're doing your strength work. Yeah, that's a super good idea. And I love how kind of scientific you are with that. And the funny thing is we actually just had Jenny Quilty who came 11th at um, Western. Western States. What a weird name. That one. Um, with the fastest female field of all time. Uh, but she said it was the downhills because we're so used to this like rugged climbing that her legs just started feeling like they were smashing. And the most disappointing part of that is that's where you feel like you should be capitalizing on your pace. So yeah, you nailed it on the head. If you can get a treadmill that does that, the Nordic track does because it goes up to 40%. And I recognize that that is not something that everybody has the luxury of getting. But if for some reason, you know, somebody with one, or you can find one or a gym that has one, or if you're at a gym, a Stairmaster, because like you said, if the race is local to us, the climbs are not punchy. It means you're going to have probably a few separate climbs that are a thousand meters um, which is over 3,000 feet per climb. So 
that is a different feeling than the up and down. And it's really nice to practice just getting in that power hiking zone where you're like, you're tired, it's too steep to run, but you can just stay in a very efficient um, kind of form and you can work on your form however that works for you to stay as like productive as you can, even though you can't go super fast. Um, because some of the climbs here, like they are hands on your knees. They're that steep. So I like, uh, just like you said, matching saying, okay, so I'm just going to climb for 40 minutes. And for some reason, that's a lot easier than saying I'm going to run 10 miles on a treadmill. I think because it's just a little bit more interesting. And if you're getting into a zone like that and you need to practice listening to music or doing whatever you're going to do on race day, like go for it. That's great. And then the other kind of fun thing I like is say you are having a day where, or a part of your training block where you don't want to smash your legs or you're dealing with an injury or something, doing a hill workout on a treadmill where you don't have to run hill downhill can also be helpful. I have a knee injury cartilage thing. And sometimes the downhills repetitive on hill reps will get it to an inflammation place where it's not beneficial for me anymore. So if I can do a 90 second all out hill sprint at the highest incline I can possibly handle and then hop off the treadmill for my rest break. Uh, that's kind of a sweet shortcut to just be working on that like super tough energy system build. Um, and then the other part I like about it. So for example, you could do like the highest incline you can handle for two minutes times four with like equal breaks. And then you could do 90 seconds, one minute and 30 seconds. So that's a lot of reps. You could do two of each or three of each, depending on where you're at with your fitness level. But what I love about it is that I know in my head where I, what the speed I can set it to is at like a 10 incline and how fast I can do that for 90 seconds. And if I am tired on a road doing it, your body just slows down, but you don't have that option when you set the numbers on the treadmill. So it's also kind of a unique, a unique way to push yourself past your boundaries because you either keep up or you fall right off. So I like that aspect of it too. You're laughing at me. Yeah. I just love like you keep up or you fall off. Sometimes you just got to sink or swim. <laughs> it's true though, right? Oh yeah. No, I actually really think the treadmill is a useful, a much more useful tool than it's often given credit for because the other part of it is that a there's, I mean, yes, sometimes, but it can be hard for a lot of people to get to like a 30, 40% uphill. And it's so fun seeing your progress where you're like, wow, I used to only be able to do this at, you know, 1.5 miles per hour, you know, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, this doesn't feel as bad as it used to. And I yeah, think that yeah, that's exactly. super fun because sometimes I think outside you get, you just kind of forget how progress like how much progress you've made. And so I think treadmills are, it's like, oh, cool. Here's like a super tangible thing I'm seeing. Like I'm going faster. Yeah, that's such a good point because our sport is not measurable really. Like course to course, it's apples to oranges most of the time. So I, um, I like that you said that. Just want to take a quick second to thank our next sponsor. We are brought to you by AG1. So AG1 is a daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day so that I know that I am getting all of the vitamins and minerals that I need to recover from the hard workouts, to feel like I am giving my gut health the best chance it has. And I was just getting so sick of taking so many different supplements and not getting the results that I wanted. So to find something that is simple and actually tastes good was huge for me. And I have now been able to keep this habit for over for a year, which is actually kind of mind blowing for me. So so it not only replaces your multivitamin, but also your prebiotic. And with the new vitamin D packages, you're also covering off that base and making sure that as we get to fall, you are doing everything you can to fight off cold season. And since I'm gearing up to leave for Fat Dog, I also am so excited about the travel packs because I just leave them in my suitcase so that it's so easy to make sure that I always have it with me. And after a trip, I just replenish and I don't even have to remember to pack them again. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com backslash TRWP. That's drinkag1.com backslash trwp to check it out okay move, ready to move on to the next question let's do it this one's a fun one for you 
Yeah, this is definitely, we've talked chatted about this before because I know you're all in, but except for no, in the intro, you talked about being all of the mountain things you do now. So we both have answers for this. So they said, assuming that this was Tori, this question is more for Hillary. I have multiple hobbies and I want to do them all well. I love the gym. I love CrossFit. How do, do you play tennis and run? I know it interferes with my running when things get too heavy, but I also feel so good and I love the community. So I don't want to give it up. Tips. Do you want to okay. go first? Sure. So I will be honest. It was really hard this year. And I, tennis season per se is the league is April through June. And I had a marathon June 11th. So that does not work for me. Um, and I tried to make it work and it was very hard. The reason it was hard is because at any time when you have two hobbies, if you want to do them to the very best of your ability, they're just going to interfere with each other. There's almost no way around it. Um, so for example, it wasn't my running that was hindered because I did prioritize that, but my tennis suffered because if your nervous system is shot and you're at kind of max fatigue, it's really hard to be your top notch coordination that you need for a tennis serve or to hit a ball at the net that's flying at your face exactly where you want it. So I would miss shots that I shouldn't miss. And I knew I was tired. Nobody really cares. I'm not like a professional, but I care. So it started to wear down on me. And then I have this tennis coach who's like, oh, you've got so much potential, but like, not if you're running 50K tomorrow. And I, because I was also in a singles tournament and I was like, yeah, I know I have these two things on the same day and it's not going to work. Um, and then I like played a league match at a, um, in a stupid town that was about 37 kilometers from our home. And I was like, okay, so someone just has to take my bag and I'm just going to run home to get my long run in. And my teammates are like, what are you doing? And I have a compliancy issue. So I wasn't like, oh, I'll miss this workout for my tennis match. I didn't want to do that either. So anyways, long story short, it became very clear that if this was also my first time really caring about tennis, because it, it started as just like a ridiculous hobby, you just simply have to have seasons. Um, so I'm going to really focus on short distance running and tennis from say March to June. And then all of my big races will be fall. And the cool thing about that is you're so excited to do the next thing when you get there. And I've always been a big believer that like in the summer, hang up your hockey skates and play baseball because you should be a well-rounded athlete. And that is my like philosophy on things. Um, for you, for the person asking this question, I think her name is Jessica. I didn't write it down here. The CrossFit one is hard because the vibe of a CrossFit gym is hard and heavy all the time. So I actually have to say like, Hey guys, this is my last workout. See you in two and a half weeks is the soonest I will go to a CrossFit class before a race, because I know we'll have some sort of sled push or heavy squat day that will not allow me to race my best. So if you want to go to the CrossFit gym all the time, the two options are you say, okay, I'm in a phase of my training where I'm working on mobility and core and upper body and I'm going really light on the legs and either people respect that and the coaches aren't like no come on and trying to push you because that's the vibe um so that totally depends on your relationship with them and what the vibe of the gym is or you really go four times a week in the winter and then you go fewer times a week in the summer um so you have a few options but you can't I don't think anyways do your very best at both things at the same time. And that's okay. You can still do them to your best within a year, just maybe not on the same day. Yeah, I think that's um, honestly exactly the answer I was going to give is that you have to realize that life comes in seasons. I mean, whether that's having kids or prioritizing one over the other, um, not one over the other, but like realizing that you cannot be good at everything all the time <laughs> like and that... Sorry, hold on. Prioritizing one kid over the other? I'm like, yeah, yeah okay. one. No. <laughs> Sorry. Kids and then prioritize them. <laughs> oh, man. Um, going, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. No, uh, prioritizing being better at one sport or being more involved in your uh, social life, you know, any of those things. Um, it's, we'll just do it with the sport example. Um, so often like at uphill athlete where I coach, we have people who are like, I want to be, uh, a, basically a pro rock climber, a pro trail runner and a pro, um, 
crossfitter at the same time or not even pro but like you know really high level and you're just like wait but the literally those all conflict from like a human physiological standpoint let alone the fact that like you don't have time <laughs> to treat all of those super well um so we always say like okay hey like you want to be really good at skiing well guess what the freaking cool thing about skiing is that it disappears it's like it's there for a little bit and then it goes away so in the winter make sure that you're prioritizing skiing and you're probably not going to be as good at trail running but also like that's okay um and so it's exactly as you do with your own um your own like juggling things as you say like hey in the spring i go for fast and i prioritize tennis and then in the fall i do the longer stuff for me i try to in the winter like we ski tour a lot and um do some ice climbing so i try to figure out how to line up my racing schedule um so that i have time to ski tour uh for my instead of doing a long run per se it's not that i stop running but for that bit of time i prioritize ski touring um i will never be a great rock climber until i decide that i want to prioritize that over running and right now that's just not the season i am in my life of wanting to put rock climbing at the forefront does that not mean that i go to the gym two to three times a week i do i just know that like some days because of how hard my running workouts are i'm just gonna kind of suck at it and that's okay it doesn't mean you can't have fun i think the other part of this question i would maybe try to and or like try to help the person maybe think like reframe is that um i want to do them all well maybe it's okay not to do something well maybe it's okay to just enjoy being a beginner or being uh not the top of the podium at um one of these things. Maybe it's okay to just go and do it and have fun with your friends. And I think that once you kind of accept, and I think it's really hard, like I'm really competitive. I know you're really competitive. Like that is a very hard thing to accept. I can't tell you how many times climbing I've gotten super frustrated because I am not great at it in like as good as I want to be in my head or as good as like I wish I could be. And so I think just deciding that it's okay not to be the best at everything and letting go of that actually is going to give you a lot more freedom and joy in doing those things because it's not impossible to do all of those things it's just kind of impossible to do all of them sometimes at the level that we want them to be at <laughs> yeah i think you make a really great point that it's nice if you can just categorize something as a hobby that doesn't need to be serious. End of story. I think part of it, we're going to run out of time for the last question, but that's okay. Part of it for me is not as much being the competitive side, like, oh, I need to win this, but feeling like if I see potential, I want to reach my full potential in the, that activity. Um, so it's kind of coming to terms with, like you said, that like maybe that doesn't need to happen all the time and that doesn't need to be what it gives you. Um, anyways, running and life learning, it's all all ends up in the same, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I think I just actually read an amazing article that was talking about actually side hustles and hobbies. And it was saying that we're in a day and age where everything that we do as a hobby has become a side hustle where we don't just do hobbies because we love to knit or we love to learn about nature. We always we have a tendency in this generation and in this moment in time, especially I think COVID pushed us in that direction. Um to be like, oh, I can turn it into a job. I can monetize it. And I think sometimes we're so um, pushed into that mindset of like, oh, yeah, we've got to maximize this activity or this hobby or this sport. It's like, well, maybe actually maximize it takes the joy out of why we do it. And that just kind of made me reflect a lot where I was like, oh, wow, I am 100% at fault of not just doing things for the enjoyment and trying to maximize it. Yeah, those are really good points. I love that. And I think that just sort of comes with experience and with people like Laura Green and the nobody cares because that's that's what it comes down to, right? You're just like, oh, it's really relaxing when you can get to that place. And I am 
working on it, but it's hard. <laughs> Let me tell you. And then, oh my gosh, this is such a sidebar, but even at three-year-old baseball, and now I am an intense person around sports for sure. But the one thing my dad was so good at all the time, even when I was at the highest level for hockey was like, this has got to be fun. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. And I already see parents with three-year-olds that are so intense. And I want to be like, breathe. They're three. They don't even know what we're doing right now. Like, you just put a bat in their hands. This is not a thing to like, we're not judging their scholarships today. Um, so it's a wild thing. And I'm very cognizant of like, I am intense because I love it. But to make sure that I don't put that pressure on my kids is like something I've got to work through too, because it's just fun and exciting for me. But I think it's fun and exciting for me because it never came from my parents as a, a pressure and expectation. So that's a complete tangent. But anyways, I like what you said, because I think it's important for how we treat other people in sport also. Yeah, uh, I have yet to navigate the the child situation. I'm already a little bit scared. Of, <laughs> I, like, I, I'm literally... I mean, not trying to compare, but we take our cats out for walks and I'm now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is a completely different thing. But basically, we take our cats out for walks and I've now started running my GPS on them to see how far they go. And if I can get them to increase their mileage on their walks, they're like, stop it. Stop it, Alyssa. No, I totally get it. I have definitely put a Strava on my kid and been like, okay, how far are you going to go today? (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Um, Oh, I I would follow your cat Strava. So if you get them (laughs) an official account, let me know I'm in. Okay. Sorry. We do have time for the last question. I thought there was one more in there. So we're going to, this question was, Hey Hillary, what are your faves summer gear must-haves? I have my first 50 K rice coming up and it should be pretty warm, but I have no idea what to put in my pack. Maybe your top five necessities. So we were like, Oh, I don't know if we'll come up with uh, as many good ones. And like, yeah, you spew them out right away. Your must haves. Um, so what are your top two favorite things you go first? Yeah. So I think especially where it's getting hot. So sunblock is super key. I'll just throw out, um, I use, uh, Tonry or Tanry. And the nice thing is they have this little spray bottle that you can stick in your pack. And I am, I burn really easily and I get actually like kind of anxious about getting burned, um, especially on longer runs. So yeah, just throw the mini size spray bottle in your pack and reapply. Uh, the other thing I would say is electrolytes are incredibly key. Um, whether that's like spring makes some great ones, like there's a honey lemon one they have. Uh, and then they actually have like basically goo packets that also are like packets that are not goo, but packets that um, are just electrolytes. So yeah, making sure you have electrolytes because literally the last few weekends, I have just felt like my life is just surviving thirst um, because I keep running out of water and it's really miserable. And then you feel really crappy the rest of the day. So like, make sure you have enough water and also um, electrolytes and actually the best thing that you can bring, I don't even know why I didn't think of this, is a filter bottle. You can get a Katahdin. Uh, it's basically like a filter built into the top of your water bottle, like your soft flask. Um, Hydropack makes them. I think Solomon makes them. Katahdin makes them. And they are game changing because if you have water around you, but you don't want to bring like iodine, you don't want to bring like the big filtration systems, this freaking awesome filter bottle you can just dip in i mean like relatively good water and have fresh water anywhere you go and it's game changing i just wish like california definitely got better this year we're pretty dry right now um so like where you are would be amazing uh but yeah that is like change the game on um like going out in the summertime in uh, on like long trail runs you know as soon as you started talking i was like oh my god a filter yeah 100 yeah. percent. um they're super easy i have one off of amazon that was like 70 dollars. sounds a bit expensive for a flask but you want it obviously to do the job um and it's been yeah it's been a game changer it makes everything so easy and 
I, they also have a big enough top that you can fill all your bottles without it being like a squeeze drip situation. It like pours in pretty good. So I've done it in races too, where you want to be kind of hurrying as fast as you can. So yeah, hundred percent filter sunscreen. Yes. I've had bits of sun cancer, sun cancer, can't speak today. Uh, so sunblock, if you can get like an SPF long sleeve, if it's not boiling hot, sometimes I, those even keep you cool. And oh, then we talked about, sorry? No, sun hoodie. Sun hoodies are great. Oh yeah. I've heard about this. I need to get one actually. I need to do oh. better, better research. So if you guys know a good one, tell oh, me. Oh, I can send you, I'll send you uh, some ideas. Yeah. I should almost reach out and be like, Hey, as a skin cancerous being, I should, <laughs> I sh- should be sponsored by you to show that I'm now not getting more spots because it's not fun. Um, also a buff and or a hat and a buff sounds crazy for summer, but you can dip them in the Creek and wrap them around your head. So the cold water is pressed to your head um, or a hat that you can put ice in. So I actually had an athlete run a really hot race the other day. And one thing is you have to cool from the outside and the inside. So yeah, cold water and a hat or a buff in your, um, sorry, dipped in water. But if you can get an ice cube and put it, some of the stations have ice cubes, put them in your hat and then also hold one on the roof of your mouth, holding it on the top of my mouth is like the game changer to cool down my whole body instantly. Um, so that's a random tidbit, but if you overheat, try, try that move. Um, and then of course, gooder sunglasses, not the advertisement right now, but I do wear them in every every trail race because you can get different shades of lenses. So I get light ones because sometimes you're in kind of spotty trails or something where I don't I can't have dark sunglasses on, but it's also still bright, still too bright to see. So um, a couple of gooders is really helpful. Wax because sometimes if you salt more sweat, sorry, if you sweat more salt in the summertime, I am losing my mind here. It's getting to like where I get really tired in the afternoon time. And you can tell Um, when you sweat more salt, it chafes more. And also dust and sweat, I feel is harder. Like in the winter, if it's wet or something, or you're not sweating as much, I don't find it as bad, but summer chafing can be really bad. So if this is your first 50K, like in your pack, definitely a little thing of wax, squirrels, nut butter, diaper cream, anything like that. Um, and yeah, sunblock ways to cool yourself down, obviously more snacks and electrolytes for sure. Is there anything else that you for sure? Oh, because you're on a mountain, always have a jacket. Yes. (laughs) Because I've been like 30 degrees and then we turn a corner and it's pouring rain and I'm cold. So just be aware that that will happen no matter where you are, if you are doing a mountain race. Yeah. I guess shameless plug. I actually just had an article published in trail runner magazine about safety in the mountains. And I have a list in that, um, that basically says like, Hey, these are probably the things you should bring, um, with you. Oh, sweet. Well, send me the link and I will link to that in the show notes as well. Sweet. Yeah. The one thing I just, I've learned or actually been learning about with the filter bottles is that you can't really put electrolytes into the bottle because uh, it gunks up the filter. And so having some kind of electrolyte you can take that doesn't necessarily have to be dissolved in water uh, is actually pretty clutch because you realize like, oh crap, I can't put this into this filter bottle because it doesn't work. And now I don't have any salt. That's where you bring your bag of salt with you and you'll be fine. No I'm kidding. Um <laughs> I just like, I get it. I get, I get where your brain went. What do you, what do you use then? Cause so, I like the noon, but I used to I just like, chew them and my teeth are ruined. And I think it's from that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I bet that would be hard on your teeth. I like noon too. Uh, I have heard some people chew them. Yeah. So I am actually coming back. Well, so I did say the spring does make like the electrolyte. It, it looks just like their other um, packs, Uh, but I'm kind of coming back around a little bit to salt pills, which I had kind of sworn off for a while because they scared the crap out of me. Um, Why? Uh, just like hearing stories of people oversalting themselves. And I think that the reason why people do that is a, they don't read the back of the, the, the like container, um, that gives recommendations of how many you should take and people just take the pill and then don't drink water and you have to drink water with it. Um, so yes, because 
yeah, it's basically like taking the most concentrated. Uh, yeah, it's like taking a p- pill of salt <laughs> and it just bombs in your stomach. Yeah. Um, so the more I've kind of, I've actually been looking at a lot more. And so I actually have been taking just a few salt pills with me. Uh, haven't been quite as good about implementing using them uh, because I keep running out of water. But that's going, that's, I think is a really great backup way. Um, if you are worried about the electrolytes, yeah, just like a little baggie of salt pills. I wouldn't start using them in a race. Um, I would use them for sure in a trading run or a couple trading runs before you do that. But, um, yeah, just a little baggie of salt pills, I think is a great, uh, resource. Yeah. And you know what, if you're going to get into a situation where you might not get water and you're reliant on your electrolytes um, mixing or the filter or something like that. Yeah. Too. It's probably okay to have both, both things or in that's the kind of thing where you're like, what do you put in your drop bag? You put a backup thing. So put, if you like to have your liquid electrolytes, but you might run out of them or whatever it is, like, that's a great, a great thing to think like, let's just have a backup plan because people drop things. Um, or it's not working that day, or you have to rely on your filter like we just talked about. Um, so I like that. I like having double ideas for things. Yeah, I think that that's, that is what we are talking about, about things you learn when you mess up a bunch is having yes. those backup options. Totally. Some, some call it wisdom. Others call it just learning through silly mistakes that past selves go oh my gosh I can't believe I was that dumb honestly the craziest thing I find is and I tell athletes to do this too after their first 50k when they're like oh yeah I should have done this this and this I'm like please have a list in your phone because the amount of times that you will go to a start line next summer and have to relearn these lessons myself included is astronomical so I will re-read redo my list reread my list before every race and I'm like oh yeah, that's right. Like I forgot that I need to do this or whatever it is that works for you. So um, my last tip of the day is when you figure out something that works, don't assume you'll just always know that. Have a list of like your staple strategies. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So not, it's not listed in the questions. So I'm going to surprise attack it with you. If someone was like, okay, gun to your head, Give me your best tip for their first 50K race ever. What is it? I think, oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it goes to, you have time to fix things that may not be going as well as you expect. And the things that you expect to go well probably will go poorly. And the things that you don't expect to go well, might go great. So just be flexible and don't freak out if things go sideways right at the start because they're not going to stay that way. You'll be fine. And you can't predict when when that's going to happen. And so just, just know that you have time to fix things if they're starting to go in the opposite direction you expect. Does that make sense? Totally. Because I actually would have said the same thing. So the beauty of the ultra is that it's not like a 5k where if you screw up your toes, yeah, yeah, you totally exactly. have time and yeah. everybody's going to have a low and I'm notorious for having a low in the first 5k. And being Dude, like, same. <laughs> I almost always want to quit the first five to 10k. I'm like, this is dumb. I'm out. I don't like this. Yeah. Not doing it. Um, and part of it is just I don't know, you need to get warmed up or whatever, get into it. Um, so I would have said the same thing and also just try to enjoy it because when you get out of there, you're going to be like, man, I was in pain when I was there, but I would love to go back into that adventure state that I was in. Yeah. You get to shut your phone off. You get to shut your, like your job is to run and like hike and have fun. And how many times do we get to just so solely focus on what we love doing the most, like that is a freaking cool opportunity. That's what I always think of it is like, wow, I get to disengage from the world for however many hours and no one can bother me. (laughs) That's my favorite thing about it. That's my favorite thing about it. Yep. 
I totally know what you mean. Um, okay. This has been absolutely awesome. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and getting some of your knowledge. If our listeners want to find more of you, follow along on your racing, find out about your coaching, plug all of your stuff. Thanks. Yeah, this was super fun. So I am probably most active on Instagram. It's theory, T-H-E-O-R-Y underscore in underscore motion uh, on Instagram. I try to respond to people as quickly as possible. Um, I'm also an uphill athlete coach, so you can find me on uphillathlete.com. And then, yeah, to have an article out on trail runner mag have another one coming out on monday about dirt napping so that's pretty fun and um yeah i think that's if you can't find me there just look for the creepy white van with the two cats uh staring out the window at you (laughs) somewhere in san diego or california you know that's a great that's a great (laughs) send-off okay bye and thank you (laughs) 